Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about these, these concepts and ideas of resilience, grit, being mentally strong, and what does it all mean? And we're going to talk about why you, we should read a book that's empowered us, impacted us, has had meaning for us three times or at least had three different exposures to it. So it could be that you read it twice, listened to it once, or that you listened to it three times. Uh, we'll get into that, and we're going to talk about what earthquake survival can teach us about dealing with our suicidal ideations. Um, and that's actually where I want to start. Last night I was laying in bed, and I woke up because I would have swore that the ground was shaking beneath me. Yeah, I should say beneath us because, uh, you know, I'm in bed with Michelle and I wake up, she doesn't wake up. So I'm like, okay, maybe that was in my head. I wasn't sure that the bed was shaking, could have been a dream, but I just had this sense that the, the, the earth was moving and which the earth is rotating, I guess technically it is moving, but the ground beneath me was, you know, specifically shaking. And there was nothing to it, but it alarmed me to the point where I was like, am I prepared if there's an earthquake? Do I know what to do? Because I, I was I was terrified. I was I was shaken. I couldn't fall right back asleep. So I Googled how to survive an earthquake, which I've done before, but I completely forgot. I was like, okay, I know. Like if I'm in a school setting, I've had an earthquake experience where I was teaching a class because I used to substitute teach and there was a, a big earthquake and I immediately told the kids to get under a desk and I got under a desk and we held on for dear life and fortunately the building was strong enough to withstand it and in, in, in the neighborhood in the city and we were able to recover. And I've actually been in two earthquakes that required me to get under the table where you could literally see the paintings and things on the wall shaking. And so I know that in an event of an earthquake, I know how to respond. But for some reason last night, I, I felt ill-equipped. I felt like I like th there was more I could do to survive this. And especially also thinking about Michelle and would we know what to do? Would we be on the same page, you know, because it, you practice earthquake drills in school, but you don't really practice earthquake or fire drills at home, although we definitely should, right? And as I was looking it up, it was talking about you don't want to run, but you do want to get under something that's sturdy, and you want to protect your head and your neck. Stop, drop, and protect. And they talk about this on a plane also. If the, you know, if the plane is going to go down, you know, you, you put your head between your knees if you can or lean forward and protect your head and neck. And, and also the reason why you want to uh, lean forward is to protect our organs, you know, uh, stomach, lungs, heart. And what was interesting is, uh, you know, I've shared with you that I'm in a, 
uh, sugar and carbs group uh, for uh, uh, sugar addicts. And we always talk about the power of prayer. And as I'm looking at how to survive an earthquake, the idea of stop, drop, and protect your head and, and neck, I'm like, that's pretty much the prayer position. You're not putting your hands behind your neck, but you are dropping to your knees and uh, you know bending forward uh, in, in some ways. And I thought about this in terms of you know dealing with suicidal ideations, dealing with the pain, and that a lot of times I try to tough, I try to tough it out. I try to be strong. I try to uh, push through it and get over it and get past it and uh, and ignore it. And really, when I'm in those states of pain, of distress, of despair, of, of shame, of grief, the key thing would be to be to drop down to my knees and cover my head and, and neck. Protect myself. Surrender to the moment. Acknowledge it. You know, I, I, you can't ignore an earthquake. You, you can't just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tough it through this earthquake. No, the walls are shaking around us. And to not acknowledge it, to ignore it, to suppress it, to re- repress it, is to deny what we're feeling, to deny what we're experiencing. And if we're lucky, maybe we get through it. You know, maybe, you know, there's, you see somebody who's just walking the streets, uh, not protecting themselves, not taking cover, and somehow they survive the earthquake, and that's fine. But you're reducing your chances, and it could give you a false sense of confidence. And so, you know, in uh, in reality, you know, we think that because we've survived past suicidal ideations and ideas uh, by reaching for food, drugs, sex, alcohol, or suppression or, or repression, that it's going to work every time. And and the truth is, we just got lucky because there could be a, a catastrophic earthquake, a 7.5, an 8.2. And if we haven't practiced our, our earthquake drills, you know, the stop, drop, protect our head, protect our neck, if we don't have a solid plan in place, it could be disastrous for us. That idea of dropping to your knees, and I'm not saying, I know everybody's not religious, I'm not saying to pray, but I'm saying to at least acknowledge the experience, to at least allow yourself to feel it. Because the beautiful thing, here's the beautiful thing about an earthquake, they don't last for hours. They don't last for days or weeks or years. It's a small window. It's small seconds and and by the way the most dangerous part of an earthquake is 
the aftershocks. Right? When we think that the earthquake has passed, when we think, oh, we got through that, we're good, we're, we're free to, to walk the earth now, to, to rummage around, to see what the damage is, to, to continue on with our lives as it was before the earthquake. No, there's always an aftershock. And it can come a day later, a week later, a couple months later. It's almost like grief. You know, I, I told you it took me, I shared with you before how it took me two years before I experienced, uh, where I really fully experienced emotionally the grief of my father passing away. It was two years before I cried, just bawled my eyes out. So know that there are aftershocks. And, and if we don't practice daily coping skills, if we don't practice, if we don't have in practice ways of dealing with our emotions, of dealing with our shame, our guilt, our sadness, our loneliness, our, our despair, or even excitement, right? Even excitement can be a dangerous thing. You ever see a dog that's, you know, really excited or a kid that gets excited? Um, you know, I've, I've seen and heard stories about people who haven't seen each other for a while and they meet at the airport and the other person's so excited they jump on the person that they're meeting, not realizing that, uh, you know, the person that they just jumped on had back surgery. <laughs> and so they end up injuring that person. So, you know, anything that is too far removed from uh, a, a, a state of calm, a state of, uh, you know, a, a neutrality, you know, um, of groundedness, uh, you know, that can be detrimental. I'm not, and I'm not saying that to, to, to you know, scare you away from feeling emotions or, you know, intense emotions by all means. I'm saying that to say that, be aware, be aware that if you find that some of your emotions have had some outcomes that have been maladaptive, that have not been beneficial or effective for you, and yet we have to look at that. Because if we, sur- we survived it and we got through it, but chances are there's going to be a point where, it, it, you know, take people who go to drugs to deal with their emotions. They, they pop a couple pills to either sleep or to deal with their anxiety. And, okay, it worked. It put you to sleep. You felt well. Reduced your anxiety. But is that sustainable? Because we know that the effects of our drugs wear off, so then that means we have to take more. And and if we haven't been practicing healthy, proper, sustainable coping skills, how many overdoses have there been? So practice your earthquake drills. Practice how are you going to handle on a daily basis emotions that can come up for you? Out of the blue, you see something, you smell something, you feel something, you hear something, 
you taste something that reminds you of an event that causes an earthquake. It, it triggers some seismic event in your soul, in your bones. Do you have a plan for that? You know, when they talk about, when I read about why most people die in earthquakes, and the number one reason, walls collapse on them. The foundation of the building that they're in was not strong enough to prevent the collapsing of the walls. And, and, and what's interesting is the technology is here to build walls, to build buildings, to sustain earthquakes. It's expensive, it's costly, it's time-consuming to put them up, but it's here. And I say that to say that make sure you're putting in the time to, to, to fortify your, your, your coping skills so that your walls don't collapse. When you have or experience some type of triggering event that feels so intense, you feel like you can't handle it. It's not a one-off deal. That's why they have building inspectors. Building inspectors come around periodically to make sure that the building is up to code. That's why we go to see therapists. That's why we go and work with coaches. Today, I'm meeting with my coach today. I have a life coach. And then tomorrow, I'll be talking to my therapist. And does that mean that it's it's 100%? No, nothing is 100%. Nothing is guaranteed but does it increase my chances of handling an earthquake of handling uh, some emotional trigger that can lead to some seismic event internally absolutely So even if you're not going to, you don't have to go to therapy every day or every week, but definitely have somebody who can periodically make sure your building is up to code. That the the coping skills that you have are strong enough to sustain some type of triggering event. Because it triggers everywhere. I, you know, my dad's birthday is in two days. He turned, I turn, not birthday, but the, the day, um, my birthday is in two days, March 18th. This will be posted uh, a, a few weeks or a few days after. And just thinking about 
my birthday and how linked into my dad um, idea of me on my birthday. Every year he admonished me and encouraged me to reflect on how my life has gotten better and how I am better. So every year on my birthday, I think about my dad. So it's just, I, there's always a mix of excitement and joy of my approaching birthday and also of some guilt and shame and feelings of inadequacy of, am I better? Am I, did I, am I doing enough? And I've accepted that. I think I've, I've cried like three times in the past two days. However, I have my therapists and my coaches to make sure my building is up to code so that the walls don't collapse on me. They can shake. They can tremor. They don't collapse. And it brings me to this idea of and because I talk about the code and therapy and, and just daily things that we can do. Because this idea of people being resilient, of people having grit or being gritty uh, or mentally strong, it, th- those aren't fixed states. You know, there's, I, I was reading this article by uh, Giancarlo. Uh, and he was talking, uh, Giancarlo Toldanis, I believe. He, he wrote this March 7th, 2022. And he, he talks about why we should stop calling children resilient. And I love the article because what he's talking about is when we label someone as being a thing, whether we call someone resilient or gritty or mentally tough, we say it as if, it's a fixed state, as if that person is always resilient, as if that person is always gritty, as if they're always mentally strong. And no one is always anything. We have a range of emotional experiences. There are some areas where we're resilient and we bounce back and we recover from difficult conditions And then there are just moments that completely floor us, that bring us to our knees. I have a friend who is a tough guy. He can shoot guns, and he's he's a martial artist, and uh, he he can kill 10 men with his pinky. But his daughter, his teenage daughter, brings him to his knees. He, he, he struggles to connect with her. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a painful interaction. But in, all, in, in other areas, he's so gritty and, and resilient and, and tough and mentally strong. And, and the truth is we say those things as if those are always the solution, always the antidote. There are some areas and there's some moments where being resilient, where being gritty, where being mentally tough can actually be harmful, can, can actually be the thing that prevents us from thriving and or surviving. Sometimes 
it serves us to collapse, drop to our knees, cover our heads and our neck, and surrender to the moment. Instead of taking up arms and feeling like we have to fight through this and grit, grit our teeth, There are times when dropping to our knees is the solution. What's important is that we're making that decision and we're identifying those moments and that we're flexible enough to know when is a time to kneel and protect our head and necks, and when is the time to move forward, to recover, to learn from what we've experienced? You know, when you get sick, you know, I had food poisoning the uh, not too long ago. That wasn't the time to go for a run. That wasn't the time to do, you know, a thousand burpees or go for a swim. That was the time to acknowledge my experience, lay in bed, hydrate, rest, and then what did I learn from that? You know, where did the food come from? Why did I end up getting food poisoning? And then moving forward from there. My buddy, uh, Mark, I was on a cruise ship. And my buddy, Mark, was reading this book about walls. And he was talking about how societies throughout time who've built walls have been more susceptible to attack and to collapse. And... I bring that up to say that a lot of times where when we feel vulnerable and weak and we don't feel resilient and gritty, we put up walls around ourselves. We withdraw, we hide, we isolate, we put these walls up. Not recognizing that makes us more vulnerable to attack makes us more vulnerable to collapse. We have this idea of, you know, when we're struggling, we have to, uh, you know, especially through breakup and divorce, that, oh, oh, we just need some time to ourselves. No, that's the time to expand, to forge new bonds, to reestablish new relationships. There's such a fear of, of, uh, of making someone else our rebound that we don't recognize it is through new connection, human connection, that we can grow and we can move forward through our experiences. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a time for solitude. I'm actually reading a book right now about intimacy and solitude, which I'll discuss in other podcasts. 
But this idea that we can put up walls around ourselves and, and do it ourselves and make it on our own, detrimental to us. History has proven that. It's been detrimental for societies and countries and economies. I mean, look at crypto right now. Crypto is breaking down financial walls. It's making it possible. I'm not, this isn't, <laughs> I'm not saying go out and invest in crypto. But what I am saying is that, you know, cryptocurrency, online currency is making it so that no matter what country you are in, no matter what part of the world you are living, you can have access and move your finances is breaking down those financial walls. Every fiat currency has met its demise. Had walls. So make sure that if you are building walls, that it's up to code and that you have someone looking at your walls. And if you are going to read books on resiliency and grit and mentally strong, whatever self-help book that you are reading or have read, I encourage you to read it three times. Whether you read it three times or you read it twice and listen to it once. But the research has shown that when we want to get through to someone or something, we have to say it three times to them before they really understand, before they really take it into their bones. Did you clean your room? Yes. Did you, did you clean your room? Yes. Did you clean up your room? Yes. See, that third time, because the first time we say something to someone, they don't even really know we're talking to them. They're not really paying attention. And even with ourselves, the first time we say something to ourselves, even if you're, you know, with yourself talking affirmations, you know, if you're saying I love you and all that stuff, to say it once is not enough. You're just like, wait, what, me? Are you sure? The second time we go, oh, you are talking to me. And a third time is like, oh, thank you for sharing that. Now, now we're taking it in on a third time. So whatever book, or speech, or idea, take it in three times. On that third time, you'll really be absorbing it. This, you know, I, I, for one, take so much pride in how many books I'm reading, and, um, you know, I read three books this week, or two books last week, and et cetera, et cetera. But it's the rereading. We are what we reread. That's, that's what we start to become. What are we rereading? What are you rewatching? What are you re-listening to? We are what we redo. You know, I, I do a lot of writing, and, and anybody who is a writer will tell you most of writing is rewriting. Going back again. And, and that's the power of daily habits that can ground you. You know, I always talk about germs, journal, exercise, read, meditate, self-talk. And you can get that PDF from my website, uh, thrivewithleo.com. 
Just put your email in, and you'll get that PDF from me on how I journal, exercise, read, meditate, and self-talk. And these are things that we have to do on a daily basis. And not to say you have to do those things on a daily basis, but figure out what helps keep your building up to code so that in the event of a, a, tr- a, a earthquake, you can, you'll survive it and thrive. And it won't terrify you. You'll feel prepared. You'll feel prepared for those emotional waves of intensity, of guilt and shame. You're like, oh, hello, guilt and shame. I've, I've experienced this before. I can handle this. Oh, hello, uh, craving for food, drugs, sex, alcohol. I've experienced this before. I can handle this. I know what to do. I know who to call. So before you go pick up another self-help book, go back through the books you've already read or listened to and reread those. What's your drill? Take time to to ask yourself, what's what's your your plan? What's going to be your response to that next wave of pain, guilt of shame of hopelessness of despair are you going who are you going to call who are you going to talk to what are you going to write you're going to write a letter write a letter to yourself write a letter to a friend are you going to email someone are you going to go for a walk are you going to do some yoga are you going to join a group are you going to punch a bag maybe put your hand in cold water Maybe hop in a sauna, take a hot bath. How are you going to breathe through it? Are you going to ask your significant other to maybe place some pressure on your chest as you lay down? Maybe you're going to take a nap. Maybe go people watch, take in some fractals. Maybe you're going to call your doctor and say, hey, doc, could these meds be causing some mood swings, some suicidal ideation, some pain, some depression. Maybe you're going to look at your diet. Maybe these foods, maybe what I'm eating is causing me this pain and grief. Or, or maybe it's, it's adding to, it's compounding. A lot of times we think it's just one thing, but maybe it might be a, a, a string of things. Maybe it's a phone call with someone. Sometimes we talk to somebody and that can trigger some seismic emotional event within us. What is going to be our response to an earthquake? And are we prepared to deal with the aftershocks. Please take this moment to take a big inhale. 
exhale. One more big inhale. And exhale. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. Call the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALKS or the other international phone numbers that are listed in the show notes. Whether you're in Mexico or Toronto or Beijing or Russia or India, there are international phone calls or phone numbers for you to call where you, you can talk, you can chat, you can text. There are groups. There is help. There is you know, one of the uh, interesting things I read about uh, surviving an earthquake is don't rely on the fire department or the police department to save you. Because when there's an earthquake of seismic activity, there are so many people who need to be saved and helped, and there's not enough resources to do that. So we cannot wait for help to arrive. We have to learn how to breathe through it, sit with it, and survive it ourselves until help gets to us. And and that's why we have to practice daily. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, I'm looking forward. What am I looking? I'm looking forward to my birthday in two days. We'll be, I get on a plane. I go to Alaska. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Michelle's coming with me. So that'll be fun. And it's going to be freezing and cold, and I get to wear boots. And, uh, yeah, super excited. I usually don't end the episode or podcast like this, but uh, I got to get going. All right, bye.